The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. All right, so imagine a, a young man or a man who is uh, in Corinth that uh, Paul has, has preached the gospel and he's come to faith in Christ. But think about the life he was probably living. If you think about the typical uh, young man or a man living in Corinth, he was Greek. He was a secular humanist, likely was married to another Greek, to a Greek woman with whom he dabbled in the idol worship and the temple prostitution and sexual immorality that was such a normal part of their culture. And he was slaving day in and day out in what we would call a dead-end job, serving a cruel, unbelieving master. And then he got saved. And his head is spinning. His worldview is changing. And he's hearing all these things. And his life is turned upside down. Imagine the questions. Okay, now what, Paul? What do I do now? You know, what does God want me to do now that I'm in all these crazy situations? Do I leave my wife? Do I stop altogether? Do I stop having sex altogether because there's such sexual immorality going on? Do I need to leave this job that I'm in? Uh, or, or if he's single, do I get married? Do I move out of the city? What do I do now that I'm a follower of Christ? Because I have this sense that it changes everything, but I don't know how it changes everything. What are you calling me to do? And that word calling is used seven times, some form or another of that word calling is used seven times in these seven verses. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verses 17 through 24. In 7, 17 through 24, Paul says seven different ways, seven different versions of the word call or calling. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to try to understand what is God's call on your life? What has God called you to do? And that's really a, a, a tantalizing question for someone like me. I've wrestled with that my entire life. God, what are you calling me to do? If you know me, you're like, Tracy, just chill out. That's just the way the Lord's wired me, always thinking of what's next or where, where am I supposed to be, uh, what am I supposed to be doing next? But I hope that today you, you leave this place with a very clear sense of peace and understanding of what God is calling you to do in your life today. And we're going to do that by looking at chapter 7, 17 through 24 And we're going to look at this idea of calling. We're going to look at Paul lays down a principle, a principle about the call that God has on our lives. And then we're going to see how he applies that principle to three different sets of relationships. So we're going to ask the Lord to help us as we get going. Lord, would you help us to understand with clarity, with simplicity, what you've called us to do, your calling on our life, that we may understand it and then that we may fulfill it to your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So really in verse 17, we see the different aspects of calling that Paul is talking about. Look at verse 17. He says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. We're gonna look at that aspect and to which God has called him. 
And so here we see there's two primary words that we're going to look at, actually three, but the two main ones that have to do with calling are this idea of being assigned and this word called. Let's begin with the word assigned. Paul says the Lord has assigned. Let each person live the life that the Lord has assigned to him. What does he mean? That the Lord has assigned alive to you that which he expects you to live. The word assigned, the way Paul uses it, it means to deal out or to apportion something. To deal out or apportion. And so implied behind this statement, live the life that the Lord has called you to, or excuse me, that the Lord has assigned to you, implies that there is a sovereign God who has dealt out or apportioned a life for you to live. Now, that that may disturb you a little bit. It, It disturbed me when I was much younger as I first started to grapple with this idea. But as you grapple with this idea that God has, this this sovereign God has assigned to you a life to live, you need to understand it's never presented in the Bible in contradiction to your own real responsible decisions. You're not a puppet. The Bible never says that you're, a, you're just a puppet robotically going through what God has assigned. No, there's a strain in scriptures that can't be easily resolved and I can't resolve it at all. Some think they've resolved it and good for them, but I can't resolve it in my finite mind. But God is sovereign and man is responsible. And that's a tension that we need to keep in our understanding of God's calling, that we have been assigned a life to live. And the way that is filled out is somehow mysteriously through our very real responsible choices. And both are true at the same time. But to understand God's call, you need to understand that there is a sovereign God who is sovereign over your life and he has dealt you some cards to play, as the culture likes to say. He has dealt, well, that's just the cards I've been dealt to play. In a sense, that's exactly right. But it's not been dealt to you by karma or by luck or by a series of random cause and events. The Lord who is sovereign before the foundations of the earth has assigned to you good works. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God, not karma, God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the Lord has good works for you in particular, your name. God has good works for you, 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 you individually that he wants you to fulfill. The Lord has portioned those to you. The Lord has assigned those to you in particular with your name on it. Now, rather than being disturbed by that, you should be greatly encouraged by that. It should infuse every aspect of your life with significance. A lot of people want to take God out of the formula because life doesn't turn out the way we want them to turn out, like we think it should turn out. And when we have troubles and when we make sinful decisions and we pay consequences, whether they are a result, whether troubles are a result of our sinful decisions or not, or maybe someone else is sinful, we want to say, well, God wasn't in that. Like we need to bail God out. And what that does is that removes meaning and significance and purpose and hope. 
And so we don't want to do that because that's not faithful to the scriptures. The scripture says, even in your sin, even in your bad decisions of your past, somehow, some way, mysteriously, God is using all of that to orchestrate your pathway to be on the path of fulfilling the good works for which he has prepared before the foundations of the earth for you to do. Doesn't that encourage you? That's not discouraging. That's encouraging to know God has you right where you are. This is your assignment. And so he is assigned. The next in the same verse, he says, let each one lead, lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Those are not the same thing. He's referring to two different things. Paul uses the word called to mean to be chosen to receive a benefit or an experience. And in the next eight, seven verses, we see every time he's using that word to refer to being called to Christ, to salvation in Christ. And so the idea that develops here that I hope you'll see as we work through it is that God has, has you on a pathway and as you are on that pathway, he called you to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. He saves you right where you have been placed. He opened your eyes, to, to use Paul's language, what was foolishness to the world, God said, this is beautiful wisdom, the wisdom of God unto salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so God opened your eyes somewhere as you were walking along that path which he had assigned to you, he saved you. He declared you holy and righteous based solely on the body and blood of Jesus Christ as is being displayed today in the Lord's Supper table. Somewhere along the way, you came to the conviction, your very real responsible choice, I will trust solely in Christ. For he is my only hope of salvation. God demands holiness. The only way I can be holy is that he gives me credit for the son of God's holiness. And that's the gospel, and you heard it, and instead of saying foolishness, you say, I believe. God called you while you were on that path that he assigned to you. We're going to see all throughout these verses, that's how he used the word called. In verse 18, he, call, he says, was anyone at the time of his call or salvation already circumcised? And then in verse 20, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called or saved. In verse 21, were you a bondservant when called or saved in verse 22 for when he he who was called or saved in the lord as a bondservant well he's free in the lord likewise he who is free when he was saved or called is a bondservant of christ verse 24 so brothers in whatever condition each was called or saved in whatever condition you were called or saved there let him remain with god and I've tipped my hand there to the principle that he's going to lay out. But before we get there, one last word we need to look at in this verse 17. Life. Let each person lead the life. That word life refers to conduct or a way of life. So let each person live to a certain conduct or way of life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him in Christ. And so here's the principle, write this down. Here is God's call for your life in all the myriad of circumstances. Singleness, married. Married to a believer, married to an unbeliever. 
divorced, not divorced, working in a dead-end job that you would call it or not, living in this neighborhood, that neighborhood. Should I move to that city? Should I move to this city? Life of riddled with a history of sin. And here you are today. And God has a very clear word for you. Here's the principle of his calling on your life. Stay where God has you and be holy. You're like, well, that's not fun. I wanted some secret formula to discover where God has me next. I want to know the mysterious, unrevealed will of God. And this is not what we're doing today. We're studying the revealed will of God for your life. But that's very helpful to know the principle. Listen to what he says at the end of verse 17 again. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule, general rule, rule of thumb, principle. This is my principle in all the churches. Stay where God has you and be holy. This is God's will for your life. As you sit here today with a tangled mess that has come from years of making decisions and not being what you thought it would be and not turning out where you thought you would be. If you sat down when you graduated from college and you wrote out, this is what my life will look like and you look and go, this is not what I thought. What does God say to you now? You have trusted Christ. You are holy only because of the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. And as you look forward and say, what do I do now? My marriage is this, or my not, my singleness is this. My job is this. I live here and, and I've got all these circumstances and I don't know what to do. Now that I'm following Christ, what does God expect of me? What does God want for me? Stay where God has you and be holy. That should free you. That should free you. Now, wait, does that mean I can't change? No, it's a general rule. It's a principle. Stay where God has you and focus on being holy. In Ephesians 5, 8, Paul says, walk as children of the light. 1 John 2, 6, walk as Jesus walked. We say we're followers of Christ. Well, then we should be walking as Jesus walked. That's God's will for your life. That's God's calling. First Thessalonians 4.1. Walk so as to please God. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Be holy as God is holy. Walk in the spirit. The scriptures are filled with God's call on your life. And it is simply this. Be holy. That's what you should be obsessing over. That's what Tracy should be focused on. Not what's next, what's out there, what's not revealed. But if I will focus, if you will focus on being holy where you are, God will guide you down the path that he wants for you. Do you understand that God is sovereign over your life? Do you understand that right where you are, But you don't know the decisions that I've made, the mistakes I made to be where I am. Right where you are, God has you right there for a reason. And what is that? What is my purpose, Lord? What do you want me to do in this station of life? Be holy. 
That's, that's his call. Be holy right where you are. So that's the principle of God's calling. The primary calling on your life is stay where God has you and be holy. So now that we see the principle, Paul applies that principle in various situations. And that's why it's right here and kind of seems strange. Why does we talk about God's calling in the middle of these random text last week of sexual immorality or sex and marriage and and the week before that was sexual immorality and next week it's going to be singleness and all this why does he talk about calling right in the middle of it because he's saying here's the principle that will guide you in all these various situations you find yourself let's go back to apply the principle first of all to marriage relationships and then we're going to apply it in our text to social relationships and then at the end of our text to work relationships So marriage relationships. Let's look last week, verse nine of chapter seven. What did Paul say last week? He said, if you're a widow or you're single, when you get saved, what do you do? Stay that way. That's the general rule. Stay that way. Well, now that I'm I'm a believer, am I supposed to get married? Does that please God? Am I supposed to not? Just stay as you are. If you can stay that way, now that's a general rule. There's little caveats all throughout the text. He says, stay that way if you can stay that way. He's going to caveat. We're going to look more on the singleness next week. He says, if you can't, then it's okay to get married. But as a general rule, stay where you are when God saves you. Why does he want you to stay that way? What am I supposed to be focusing on? Being devoted to the Lord. Holy. Be holy. See, when singleness, he says, if you're single, you don't have to get married. He's going to say next week, in fact, I hope you don't get married. If you can't get married, then he says, if you, if you cannot get married, I prefer that. Because when you get married, you have to be devoted to your spouse and to the Lord. And I'd rather you just be devoted to the Lord. So if you're single and you cannot get married, that'd be great. Don't do it. But if you can't help yourself and you got to get married, that's okay too. I'm not saying you can't get married. This is what he does, back and forth, back and forth. But the general rule is... Becoming a believer is not about transforming your circumstances. It's not about changing your circumstances. Before, becoming a believer is about transforming you as a person in the midst of your circumstances. It's about making you holy, making you light in the midst of your current station of life in those relationships where you are. He went on in verse 10. He said, if you were married to a believer and you got saved, then stay the way you are. Stay married. And then he goes on in verse 12. If you're married to an unbeliever, stay with them. If they'll stay with you, stay with them. Maybe they'll see the light that you're living and they will become a believer. But if they leave, that's okay. I'm not saying you're enslaved. I'm just saying as a general rule, stay where you are as you get saved and focus on being holy. So we see two more applications of the principle in our text today. In verses 18 through 20, he's going to look at social relationships. I'm calling it social relationships as dealing with circumcision. And we kind of go, what in the world does it have to do with us? And and, and circumcision in their day was a very social religious dynamic. Verse 18, was any one of you at the time of his called, at the time of his salvation, Were you already circumcised? Well, let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of being, uh, at his call, his time of being saved, was he uncircumcised? Well, that's fine. Let him not seek to be circumcised. Stay the way you are. That's not what being a Christian is all about. It's not about changing your social networks. It's not about going from 
outside the church to inside sitting in a chair. It's about the transformation that takes place inside of you in the midst of those circumstances, which then will have an impact on your behavior. And so he summarizes it in verse 19. Neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but what? Keeping the commands of God. Stay as you are, keep the commands of God, be holy right where God put you, right where you find yourself. So in the, in the Jewish customs, they had all their different dietary laws, their religious laws, and all these different customs kept them separate from the culture so that they could display the holiness of God. And so this is a social issue. So the way it applies to us is to say, okay, you, you had these friends, you're walking with your friends at school, and God calls you, God opens your eyes, he's assigned you that, that school that you're going to, he's assigned you that friendship, those people that you're walking with, and God called you, opened your eyes to see Christ as Savior, you trusted Christ, and then you say, now what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to be holy in that school. You look at your life and you say, I'm in this marriage, it's not what I expected, and, and I got saved, what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to be holy in that marriage. Now, it's a general rule. If you're walking with friends and you're trying to be the light and, and you've got these people, God's will is that they see the glory of God in your life and maybe they'll come to know Christ. Now, it doesn't mean that if they are dragging you into sin and you need help walking with Christ, it doesn't mean you have to keep subjecting yourself that you're not enslaved to that. It's just a general rule to understand that a sovereign God has placed you where you are that you might be saved and you might be the light of his glory and his holiness right in that place. And so when you want to know God's call in your life, focus on that, being holy where he has placed you. Whether it's singleness or marriage relationships or whether it's these social relationships or finally we see in work relationships. In verse 21, were you a bondservant when called? Don't be concerned about it. That's fine. And then he does his little caveat. Now, I'm not saying you can't, you know, stay where you are, remain. If you were a bondservant when you were called, stay as a bondservant. But I'm not saying you can't get free if you can get free. But if you can gain your freedom, go ahead, avail yourself to that opportunity. But for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is free in Christ. Likewise, he who is free is called to be a bondservant in Christ. In other words, Christ transcends your circumstances. You were bought with a price. Do not become a bondservant to men. Be a bondservant to Christ and his holiness. So brothers, the principle, in whatever condition each was called, wherever you were when God called you to trust in Christ, there let him remain with God. This is the will of God for your life. Stay where God has you and focus on being holy wherever you are. So we need to realize God has sovereignly placed us in the circumstances in which we are, including the fact that your decisions played a role in getting you there. God has a plan. God wants to use even your sin for good. He wants to use even your messiness that you've created 
as you rebelled and as you didn't listen to his wisdom. And he says, but I have the ability and the wisdom to redeem that. And the way he redeems that is he saves you in the middle of the mess and says, now focus on being holy and make a name for God in that place. So as we move to the Lord's table, I wanna encourage you, as you take the Lord's Supper, think about holiness. Where is your holiness coming from? The Lord's Supper reminds us that Jesus is our only source of holiness. As we said, holiness isn't simply, our holiness with God isn't based on changing our circumstances. Your holy standing with God isn't based on changing your behavior. Your right standing with God is based solely on Jesus, on the blood, which is symbolized by the the juice, and on Jesus's body that was shed on the cross, was pierced on the cross for our sins. That's the source of our holiness. It begins with that and it ends with that. So as the men come forward, I would just invite you to enter into a, a time of prayer. Just close your eyes or just however you want to spend time with the Lord, examining your heart. Ask the Lord to examine your heart. And in these quiet moments, I would ask you to to just ask the Lord to reveal sin in your life. And what do you do when you realize, yeah, that's sin? Well, if you're following Christ, you praise God that the blood of Jesus, the body of Jesus was shed and is what is your source of cleansing. And so you let that reminder of his cleansing restore your enjoyment of your relationship with him. You let it propel you to repentance and to turn away from that sin. And so I pray that's what's going to happen this morning as you remember the Lord's body and blood. Ephesians 1, 3, Paul said this. He said, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. Verse seven, he says, in him, in Jesus, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And so as we take the Lord's Supper, just remember the the juice and the, the crackers represent the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, our only hope of holiness. Father, we ask that now as we take the bread, which symbolizes small parts of the one bread broken for and dispensed to the body, it's our participation in your body being pierced on the cross for our sin. And I pray no one takes it in an unworthy manner that anyone who takes the bread and the juice is saying by faith, I'm trusting in the body and the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and for the holiness that I need. Search our hearts as we take these elements. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. 
Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.